Hi, and welcome to a small, medium, at large podcast. I'm your host, Gail Heisen, bringing you intimate interviews beyond normal boundaries. I want to thank you for liking, subscribing, sharing, and I really appreciate your wonderful comments. We just saw a year of information from our channel on Spotify, and the show was most popular, I was so surprised, in Bulgaria, Australia, and Norway. So thank you to the people who are following us from these countries. Today, we have a special guest coming to us from Honolulu, Hawaii, Pam Johnson. Let me tell you about Pam. Pam Johnson is a third generation psychic channel and medium who lives in Honolulu, Hawaii, where she was born and raised. Pam and her late husband, Alan, worked as spiritual teachers, mediums, channelers, and healers for over 35 years in Honolulu. After he passed, their work, took, their work took on an unexpected turn when he made contact with her. Together with her husband in spirit, Pam and he wrote Supernatural Love, a true story of life and love after death, a book that chronicles her two-year journey to reunite with Alan, her husband, after he died and began communicating with her. Today, Pam and Alan teach channeling as a form of direct spirit communication for spiritual and personal development. They offer one-on-one -on -one readings, as well as teach on both sides of the veil in their unique coaching program, the Supernatural Love Academy, with over 200 students who are learning how to continue their relationships through the veil. Pam says all of us are mediums. The bonds of love we share with our loved ones in spirit make direct communication possible, especially for partners and spouses. Let's welcome Pam here today. Hi, Pam. Welcome. Well, well hi, Gail. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a thrill to be with someone of like mind. Yes. <laughs> it's always a pleasure for me to meet people for the first time. It's all spontaneous, so I really like the energetic interaction and getting to know someone. As I do with all my guests, this question Mike, has a few different questions in it, but it all revolves around your childhood. Okay. I was wondering if you could tell us about your childhood growing up in Honolulu, being a third generation medium, knowing this tells us your path was already open to you to follow your family in the psychic world. Who were those family members and when did you notice or they notice that you have some of the same gifts they carry? And were you an adult before you started channeling? Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm in a way a little different from a lot of people who, who are very, were sensitive from birth. Like my husband, he was a natural born medium. Although he didn't know what mediumship was when he was a child and he felt spirit around him. I never did. Okay. I never did as a child. Had a, I would say I had a very ordinary childhood. And I didn't even know that my mother had gone through her own spiritual psychic awakening at, this, at around the same age that I went through it. At, that was at 35 years of age. I didn't know that until I started to open up. And then it was only then that my mother told me that my grandmother had been a psychic medium during the war. My, my grandmother had been a picture bride. She'd immigrated from Japan. This was before World War II. And so I didn't know that my grandmother was doing readings 
before the war began, World War II began, and obviously she needed to shut that down once the war began because that would have drawn too much attention to her. But apparently she was quite amazing, according to my mom later. Okay, after the fact, I find this out. After my grandmother had passed and after I opened up, and at the same time, my mother told me that on that day that when I was opening up, my mother said that she started to feel energy again because she had shut this down, you see. When she went through the opening that I was, had, was going through at the time, she thought she was losing her mind. And she happened to find out that she was also pregnant at that time. So she thought, wait a minute, I got two kids working full time as a kindergarten teacher and I'm pregnant and I'm feeling all these things. I'm feeling energy. I'm perceiving, you know, things that don't seem to be real. She thought she was going to have a nervous breakdown. So she ended up having to decide to get an abortion, which of course was not legal in the U.S., but because we were living in Hawaii, she could fly to Japan because it was legal in Japan. I guess this was in the I don't know when it was, 70s or so forth. But in any case, I didn't know any of this about the abortion, about my mother being sensitive until I opened up and she started saying to me, when I drive over to see you, <laughs> I start feeling this energy coming up my arms and can you make it stop? And I thought, uh, okay, let's see what I can do, right? So I put, I would, I just felt to have the impulse to put my hands over her arms, which she said were pulsing with energy. And I just commanded it to stop. And it did. From that point on, she didn't feel it anymore. Because she said, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to open up to this. It's your thing, but it's not my thing. Because of course, by that time, she was much older. And then she told me about my, my grandmother. Were you raised a Buddhist or a Catholic? Or <laughs> well, I lived in a family that was not religious, mm -hmm. but but on it. Uh, but interestingly, my father was Buddhist, but he never talked about Buddhism. He never he never tried to convert any of us to Buddhism. He just practiced that. And my mother, to my knowledge, didn't. She she took me to a Methodist church when I was six years old, thinking, I think she was just thinking, I want to be a responsible parent and introduce my child to religion. So she, she takes me to church at six years old. And I, I said, well, I want to be in the church with the stained glass windows. You know, I want to, I want to, cause I love Jesus. And I was always reading stories about the Bible and Jesus, you know, and that's probably why she took me to church to begin with. But I, I said, but I want to sit in the church. And she goes, well, you can't, you know, you're just a little kid. You have to go to the Sunday school. Right. And I thought I went there like maybe once or twice. And I said, I hate it. I don't want to be in this stupid like Sunday school. It's boring. I want to be in the church because I just want to talk to God. You know, that's why I told her, I want to talk to God myself, like you are. <laughs> and she said, well, you can. And I said, but if you don't want to come to Sunday school, you don't have to. And I said, well, I don't want to. So that was it. You know, I never went back to church. My father was a devout Buddhist, but never talked about it. Only took us to certain services and things that, that I assumed were just part of being Japanese, you know, because I'm Japanese American. They're all, they're both citizens. They were born, you know, in, in Hawaii. Well, my mother was born in Hawaii. Um, and anyway, I just thought, 
everybody goes to these services, you know, these Buddhist services, if you're Japanese. I didn't know there was a religion attached to it. I just knew that's what we do. And you, you pray, you put incense in the, in the temple and all these things. So I had no understanding of religion, not really. And my parents were not against it. They just were not pushing that. Their whole focus was, which I can understand, being, you know, kind of first generation. They were like, we want you to, to be American. You know, we want you to not to go and learn Japanese, because, you know, we, we just want you to learn to speak English really well or learn, you know, learn to be an American. And so I had, that's why I said I had a really ordinary childhood. I, I didn't feel spirit around me. But when I learned to channel when I was at the age of about 35, something about it just felt normal to me, uh, even though it made no sense, you know, and I realized later looking back how things had been set up for me to even get to that place of opening to the spirit world, you know, as you know how that is right life is not coincidence there's an orchestration going on that we're not aware of from a higher level. So there's both destiny and free will involved, right? So I'm, I was, I know now that I was destined to discover channeling. I was destined to open up as a channel. I was destined to go down this road, but you know, how I went down that road was up to me. That was the free will part. You know, how are you going to explore it? What are you going to do with it? But the opening up part was, a given if I hadn't gone through that, I would have never met my husband because he on kid the other end of the world was, you know, older than me and he was going through his own his own awakening, but at a very different, they're, they're very different time frame because he came to it later, much later in his life than me. So does that explain it like my so I really think my childhood was very, very ordinary, kind of boring in a way. Uh, I, I had no trauma. My parents were loving. They were educated people. They were, they were not perfect by any means. You know, nobody's parents are perfect, but I didn't have any, you know, issues, family issues, except with my brother, just sibling rivalry kind of thing, pretty ordinary kind of thing, right? Nothing, again, nothing out of the ordinary. They were hiding their gifts or abilities or whatever you want to refer about this to. Well, with the grandmother and your mother i had wondered that yeah. question about religion because sometimes when a person chooses another path the religion tells them not to believe in any of those things and so that's why I, they shut it down but that you, doesn't you, yeah i know i understand what you're saying and you would also think that even if my mother wasn't religious that just the idea of channeling and psychic phenomenon that most most parents would go what like you know regardless of whether they're religious or not right but my mother was actually i know now she was guided to support me even though she didn't understand what channeling was because when i discovered that there was going to be this class being taught on channeling and i told her about it and i said i can't afford it i didn't god i didn't have the money at the time and she said well i feel like it's something you should explore. So I'll, I'll give you the money. And I practically fainted because my mother never gave anybody money. Okay. My mother was really not the one, the, 
that would open the purse strings. My father, maybe, but I knew I couldn't ask my father because my father would definitely go, are you insane? But my, my mother, when I was just telling her about this, oh, I saw this channel and she's teaching this channel class. My mom goes, I feel like you should take that. I'll give you the $250. And back in 1987, that's a heck of a lot of money. You know, I mean, compared to now, right? I mean, it still is now, but back then, $250, that's probably close to like, I don't know, $1,000 in terms of what that actually was worth. So I was just like, what? You're good. She goes, not lend me the money. She goes, I will, I will give you the money. Let me, I will give you the money. You don't have to pay me back. So I thought, okay. And then I had to get time off from work, which was impossible at the time because I worked in a restaurant and on a weekend, everybody wants to be off. So I thought, well, I probably can't get off. And, but of course, I got somebody to cover my shifts. No problem. Immediately, everything fell into place. And then after that, I started to hear spirit. I started to hear them talking to me and it was my guides, and I became obsessed with channeling for no reason except that it made me so happy. I mean, I felt so connected, right? Anybody who really dives into a spiritual path knows that first thing that you experience. It's like, and my husband would jokingly say, it's a psychic orgasm. <laughs> it's like it's like this this high that you get, no, right? So I actually agree with him and the orgasm because uh, I would find this when I would do um, remote viewings and I would be very accurate on the targets. I'd come home and tell my husband, we have to have sex. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is I always had a tremendous amount of sexual energy after, you know, making, like you say, the contact or the connection or whatever it is that happens in that other uh, place. There's a feeling of such joyousness that you can call the physical, uh, uh, call an orgasm, but it's also, I also feel the physical orgasm of it at the same time. And so I always found that it was a wonderful time to actually engage in sex afterwards. <laughs> well, that, that sounds great. But at that time when I was getting into it, I didn't have a partner, okay? So, so I was just connecting with spirit and all I knew it was it felt good. And I thought, you know, if something feels good, it's got to be good. I, I didn't have any limiting beliefs about it or fear. I did, For some reason, I had no fear about the afterlife. And maybe it was because of my grandmother. It's in my DNA. I don't know. But I, I never even occurred to me that something negative could happen. And nothing ever did because my even if I perceive something that you and I might say is a little bit sketchy, like what is that? I'd go, oh, you know, I just get rid of it just like. And so nothing ever bothered me and hasn't for 37 years now that I've been in this field. So, so I was, I was just fearless, but I know now that I pushed the envelope a little too hard and I opened up so profoundly that I, I had a spiritually transformative experience as it's known now, you know, it just, it just kind of blank slated a lot of my issues and I didn't know what happened. I felt like part of me died, this, this ego part of me died. I don't mean completely. I know you understand what I mean. You can't completely let go of your ego, but, but the main issues I had, which were really just about probably insecurity, feeling, you know, um, shyness, that kind of thing. It wasn't anything major that just was just gone. It was like, all of a sudden I felt like I could do anything and I didn't have any, um, doubt or fear. And I just knew this feels good. I'm just going to keep following 
what feels good. And, and things just started falling into place to the point where the people who knew me were getting a little freaked out because they said, why are all these amazing things happening to you? Um, one thing after, after another, including my parents deciding that they were going to move out of their home, which is in a set part of on, on Oahu, it's in this community called Lanikai, which if you look it up online, it's, it's a very, right now anyway, at the time, not so much, but right now, it's pretty much a community of a lot of rich people, a lot of expensive homes. I mean, everything in Hawaii is expensive, but in, in Lanikai, you've got you know, multi-million dollar homes that are owned by celebrities or certainly people that are really wealthy. So it's really exclusive. Back then it was really middle-class, but my parents decided, again, I was about 35 and that meant my parents were in their late 60s, 70s. They decided they wanted to move into town because my father was still working. When I say the town, I mean, because we're in a community that's about 30, 30, 40 minutes outside of Honolulu. And my dad had been commuting for all of his, for all of my life from when I was about four. So now I'm 30 years later, right? And he's like, I'm tired of commuting. I want to move closer to where he, and I thought, who does that? Whose parents decide we're going to move out of our home, comfortable home up on a hill overlooking the ocean and moved to Honolulu to be just like three minutes away from their workplace and move into a one bedroom walk up, okay, that is the size of like a studio. And who does that? I mean, when I saw their apartment they moved into, I was like horrified. Like, are you guys happy here? They go, oh yeah, your dad's so happy. He can just like go to work in two seconds. And I go, okay. And they were happy as can be for several years, but they moved out and said, can you find roommates? So I, I somehow instinctively knew, okay, I, I think I can and let me go do that. And I did shortly within a week, I had roommates. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have had a place for Alan to stay when I met him a few years later so that he could hang out with me and be in that home. I would have never gotten to know him you know, never. So I look when you, you know how it is, you look back in your life and you say, this had to happen and this happened. And then this happened. If those things hadn't lined up, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't have gotten here on top of that. When I was opening up an ex-boyfriend of mine, who I was on good terms with heard about this awakening. I was going through. heard that I had to suddenly quit my job because people around me just thought I was crazy, you know, because I was, just so open. I quit my job and my ex-boyfriend, he heard about it and he reached out and said, I'd like to support you. And I said, well, that's great. I, I appreciate your support. Oh, no, no, no. I want to give you money. I said, give me money. He goes, yeah, I understand what happened. And I, I want to give you a thousand dollars a month because you helped me so much in our relationship, because I encouraged him to go out on his own and be part of this business that he was looking at, and he was doing really well. And I said, oh, okay, like, thank you. So for about a year, he was, he was sending me a check for $1,000 every month. At the same time, I started getting clients, you know, somebody heard about me. And I had two people that came forward and said, I feel you're my teacher. I'd like you to coach me. And I thought, what am I, what do I have to teach you? They said, you'll just channel it. So I had 
people coming to me and I had that couple of people paying me like monthly to coach them. And then I started doing readings. So it just kind of all exploded for me as this can happen, as I'm sure you know. And I just kept going forward with whatever was presented to me. And if it felt good to me, then I would, you know, go accept it. Right. And, and I literally, that's how I've lived my life since I opened up. I follow my guidance, even when it doesn't make sense. If it feels good to me, I'll generally do it. I'm not saying 100% do it, you know, because everybody once in a while misses, misses something, but pretty much I do that. And it's always, always worked out. You know, when we say this about always working out, in the moment that we're doing it, other people might not give us support and think we're crazy and why would they do these things? But then when the years come later on and you look back at it, then they will say, oh, that was a really good choice that you made. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that, isn't that how, that, how that worked out? And when you follow your heart and your um, guidance, you don't have to worry about the money. You don't have to worry about the things. They all start to come to you just as you need them because you're feeling safe and not in a place of fear. Well, when my friends heard that I had this boyfriend that was supporting me, they go, are you a witch? Did you put a spell on him or something? <laughs> and I said, no, I, I look back then and even think like getting involved with him. Like we weren't together that long. And, and he, even today, to this day, he recently contacted me and thanked me for the effect that I had on his life. And I just thought, what? Like I was just being in the relationship. You know, I didn't think I was doing anything so special, but apparently it was meant a lot to him. But all those things do come together, right? Like all the things you do and all the people you meet, there's a reason for everything. And, <clears throat> and so, that was, that was my awakening. You know, like I suddenly opened up and people said, you're a witch. Like, why are all these, I'm seriously, all these things were happening synchronistically, like these coincidences that weren't coincidences, you know, including being approached by people who were opening a new age store in Honolulu. At the time, it was the first one really of its kind. And they became clients and later friends. And I, and I ended up working for them ended up hearing, hearing spirit tell me, go in and ask for a job. And I thought, what? I don't want to do I, I want a job. What are you talking about? And I went down there and I said, do you need help in your store? And the owner of the store said, yes, would you like to, we'd love to have you work here. And I said, well, I guess I'm meant to work here. And if I hadn't taken that job, I wouldn't have met my husband because he walked into that same store years later. And that's why we met. So I, I know now working with all the clients I've worked with for 37 years, there are no accidents. And, and, and it really, it's about getting out of your own way yeah. <laughs> and surrendering to the control that's already built in by your higher self, which is setting things up and guiding things, right? And just trusting what feels right to you, feels good to you. So that's basically pretty much what we teach too in our academy is because I think people have the greatest challenge in trusting or identifying their guidance, which I'd like to say is really just this feeling of curiosity, passion, interest, excitement. Like, yeah, that feels good. I don't know what that's about that, but I wanna, I wanna try that. I wanna understand that. I wanna go experience that. You know, it's not complicated. It's not like there's gonna be a burning bush that appears and says, you must do this. <laughs> it's not like that. Guidance is really subtle. Not only that, 
I always tell people everybody experiences it differently. Like for me, yeah. it's it's auditory. I hear a lot of information. Some people have visual. They see so many things. I don't see that much in like, I don't see vaporizing people in front of me that much, but I will hear information from spirit and I'll hear those things. And I always tell them that it's the thing that fleets by. It's not something that's, you know, the things that are, you know, intuitive or these kinds of things. Once you listen to that voice, it becomes stronger. I'm sure your voice You don't have to say to the voice, the voice isn't saying to you in a quiet little sound like this. It's talking to you in a regular volume now because you've given it the attention and honored the, um, you know, and, and given thanks, I'm sure, to the spirits that are, w- are with you. I, I wanted to ask you, I have, I have a bunch of questions about your book, but before I get to it, I just had a few other questions about things that we you spoke about. And I want to know what you, how do you feel and then we'll get into the book is the, there's the veil between the two worlds. Do you think it's getting thinner or lifting because of the increased amount of deaths worldwide from COVID and all of the wars that are going on? I don't know if we're seeing a more massive amount of deaths right in the last few years than might have been in other years, but I'm just wondering how you feel about the veil. Cause some people feel that it is getting thinner and people are becoming more awakened. And I was wondering how you feel about this working with people you're out there speaking right. to. Them. Yeah, I meet people every day that are having connection through the veil on some level. Some of it sometimes it's just beginning like signs and the other times it's quite profound. I've spoken to people who don't even believe in life after death and then started feeling for example, one person started feeling their their partner trying to make love to them, mm-hmm. like energetically or felt their presence. So, but I, but what I think is happening based on my being in this field for 37 years and in the past several years working with people that are having experiences like my own is that we as a collective humanity is 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 really raising the consciousness, right? And and so more people are awakening. Not everybody is, and that's never was never meant to be. You know, not everybody's going to awaken. That's fine. Everyone's on their own journey, own timetable. They're here for their own experience. But those of us that are open to it, that are waking up, are realizing I'm more than this physical body. I'm more than my ego personality. I I am this eternal being. Whatever they're they're exploring that, and that what that does is because we're all connected. It raises. The, con- the consciousness so, so, that, so that people find it easier to open up because as more people lift up, you know, it's like they bring everybody with them, you know, like the kind of, it, it, right, right. So, so I don't necessarily think it's because there's been more death. I, because, you know, there's always been death and there's always been ma- sometimes masses number of people that exit at one time. But I think, and although that could be a factor, but I think it's more that we're all open to the idea, even if we don't understand it, there are more people that are curious. Oh, and Al, my, I hear my Al husband speaking from the other side. He says, remember, <laughs> I've heard other spiritual teachers say this too. The internet and everything in this reality was created by the spirit. 
you know, everything in the physical world is created first in the, the spiritual world. So you could say, and it would be true that the internet is run by spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that they found me randomly some really weird way, right? I mean, and I know this is not unusual. It's happening to people all the time. And they found me online and, and then went directly to join me or join my academy. And I know because spirit, you know, is pulling the strings, right? They're nudging them. So that's happening a lot too. So I think that the veil is really a belief system. Let's put it that way. This is how Spirit explained to me. Everything that exists in the 3D world is created from a belief, individual and collective. So even the concept of gravity was created by the collective. Okay, so every law, every truth in this is, world. is writing a book about that right now that I think will come out this year because he has a, another twist on uh, gravity and that Einstein's theory isn't really complete. And the, because of the technology we have now in our phones with something called, um, uh, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. It's something in the phone. Yeah. That thing in the phone shows us that gravity is not the way we perceive it. And there's <laughs> no technical technological it's, item that could ever show you this. Show you that. So yeah, well, we're going to learn all kinds of things, right? He's, like He's got new well, thoughts about gravity. Well, if gravity really was a law, a fixed law, then that would mean nobody could levitate. Accelerometer. You know? If you can't. That's what cool, it is. Okay. So, but, but if even one person can break that, quote, law, like law of gravity, then that's not a law. My husband's saying that's just a suggestion. <laughs> like, it's not a lot, it's a suggestion. But everything in this world is created by spirit. So, so because of the internet, you know, people are more collect connected now than ever. And and spirit can definitely manipulate, and it does electronics and and direct people to go. I, I how many times is my phone will start spontaneously playing a song that my husband has chosen for me and it, I didn't do anything to it. You know, it's like, it's just, or my phone calls a friend of mine. And, and I, I realized later it's my husband caught me, wanting me to call my friend. Okay. So they can do that. And I, what I, he's told me is that as more people understand that there is no veil. Okay. Mm -hmm. As that belief starts to pervade, you know, as more people, even if they don't understand it it means it becomes easier to reach the veil because the veil is just a belief system. The belief that the two worlds are separate when really they're all, they're intertwined. It's just a different dimension. It doesn't mean you can't communicate with it. Sure, you can't touch them physically, but that doesn't mean you can't experience their energy, right? Because doesn't mean you can't have the tingles or feeling light touches or feeling energy, you know, the heat and cold or having some sort of physical undeniable experience. Of course you can, because it, there it can be and always has been interaction between this world and the next. And if, I'm so glad because I've never understood the veil. I, I just seemed like yeah. What what veil? For, yeah, well, so I never for you, what that meant. Right, you don't have that belief in the veil in your belief system, right? right? So, but most people do. Most people are taught that. So the minute you start 
letting go of that definition of the veil and you realize, well, that's just an illusion. The veil's not real. It's just a belief. Then you're on your way to dismantling that belief and therefore opening the door wider to the other side. But the other side has always been actively involved in the physical world. That's how people get inspired ideas and inventions. Where do you think that comes from? We're not that smart. You know, because the physical mind only knows what it already knows. It only knows what it was programmed to know. So inspired thought comes from spirit. It comes from the other side. Whether you say it comes from the person's higher self or their angels, God, whatever you want to say, it's not a physical person that gets that inspired idea because the logical physical mind just regurgitates, just spits out what you put into it. That's it. And it only observes the present situation and knows what happened in the past, doesn't know what's coming in the future. So it's not psychic. It's not created for that. Your higher mind, your higher self is the part that has the bigger picture that knows the game plan, what we came here for and mm -hmm. is orchestrating as best it can, what's for our highest good that's going to fulfill us or what we are, what are for our mission and so forth. So, once you understand the dynamics of that, and that's what I teach in the academy. I, I don't just teach, I really don't teach people how to be a medium technically, okay? It's about changing their belief system because spirit told me people already, already have everything they need to be, do and have whatever the, their soul really wants to experience. They need to dismantle and get rid of the limiting beliefs that are blocking them from expressing that. So it's more like you have to remove things or clear things, then add on something. Like you have to go, taking a class is great, but the class is really just a permission slip. It just, you just feel confident because you took a class and so you now you have knowledge under your belt. But for a lot of people actually, the too much knowledge can be more confusing to them because especially if that knowledge isn't accurate. And unfortunately right now with, especially with AI, uh, coming down upon all of us, there's too much misinformation, in my view, about the afterlife. And people are more confused than ever. So people go lose a, par a partner or loved one and they join like a million Facebook groups. And then they're so confused because different groups are saying different things. And they come to my group and I'll go, you know what? Stop doing that because our group is different. I'm more teaching. And I'm not there just to have people just cry i mean they, they can cry because we'll support them in their grief and they're crying but it's not just for being emotional and and getting out your your grief but to learn so i'm there to help them move forward because if you don't do that then you're not elevating your consciousness you're not raising your vibration and therefore you're not going to grow and you certainly have a harder time connecting through the veil so this is a wonderful uh, service that you're offering people in this academy because so many people are sort of lost when they deal with grief. Some of them can't deal with it at all. And uh, there's a different way that each of us handles grief yes. and each of us handles death. And having a place to be able to talk about it with like-minded individuals who've also lost somebody, I think is a wonderful, I'm just saying there should be more more academies like this oh, well, they I, don't I, have these things and it's important. Yeah, well, have. I have, we have a free group. So it's in the afterlife is a free Facebook group. But what I'm really excited about this year is, is starting to go more, get more involved and teach more on YouTube, like 
live stream on YouTube because I've been live streaming into my Facebook group for about a year now, over a year, maybe a year and a half now. But that's a small audience. You know, my group is private because it needs to be, it's just a safe little place, home base for everybody, about 2,700 people in it. But I need to reach more people. That's what Spirit said. So they said, you need to get on YouTube. You need to start teaching. Um, I guess to go deeper in the academy because I work with people in the group, right? We, we just go much deeper and they get way more support. But I'm here to, to just get the word out and help people understand that you don't have to continue to grieve or believe that they're gone because they're not gone. Well, and I think but if it's crazy when... Yeah, when you have... One of the things I always tell them is that after they've lost someone, and this was a question I had for you also, because I know you had these experiences. I always explain, you know, just keep yourself open after the person has passed because they may come to you. And for some reason, it's often at the edge of your bed or in a doorway that people have a contact. Or I said, you may see a bird flying by and that bird could be coming to give you that message. Like for me, I know my father's a red-tailed hawk. And at his memorial, this red-tailed hawk flew in underneath uh, an arbor and sat on the chair of the chairs I'd set up wow. for his memorial. And I've never seen a hawk come into, you know, like your personal space like that. And in the I ended up sitting in that exact chair that this hawk was in and for the few the years since he's been gone, and that was 2008, if I have a difficult moment where I feel I really need to reach him, I'll go outside to the sky and I'll just say, Dad, I need a sign. I need to know that you're there for me. And a hawk will come. And it's hard not to, you know, if I tell you, tell your family, you might think you're a little crazy when you say, no, my dad is a hawk. And I don't mean that he turned into a hawk. No. I just mean that his spirit has connected with me through this book, through this bird. But what I wanna move on to right now is angels, because I have a bunch of questions about this because I don't know anything about angels. I was raised in an atheist family. So like you, I didn't have any religion shoved down. And I think that makes it easier for us to be more open because we don't have all these shields in front that we have to remove to get to that place. So I was reading in your book and I had not heard about this woman in the late 80s. I was in Maui working on I had um, cervical cancer and I was working on my cancer there because I wanted to do all spiritual and other healing before I did uh, Western medicine. And her name was Doreen Virtue. And I had not seen her name since the 80s until I read your book. And I was like, all I remembered is that I had the most wonderful time with this woman and when I left, I just kept referring to her as the angel lady. And in your book, you talk about her and you also talk about an archangel and a regular angel. And the questions I have are a fewfold. What is an archangel as compared to an angel? Is there a difference? And can you be alive and be an angel? Or is an angel something, you know, so the only references I know is in sort of Bible type references or people will say oh there's the angel michael or the angel you know mm -hmm. this kind of thing but i have no reference to the angel thing and so i was wondering if you could teach us a little bit about the angels and then i have questions about stories in your book okay well i'm not saying uh, here to say i'm an expert on angels at all but i took doreen virtue's class like you know like you did and uh and 
it, and I, I started to feel them more around me and, and I realized looking late later, I realized that I'd always been working with the angels. I just didn't understand like who they were. Mm -hmm. And, but my understanding of angels kind of really opened up when Alan passed because he came through to my friend who I describe in the book, her name is Swati, who I have actually met at Doreen's class. That's how she and I became friends. Oh, and she, to this day, she can see, she sees spirit. She sees the angels. Um, she experienced, she didn't believe in angels herself initially and was very skeptical. She, she completely, but then she had an experience of having, seeing them come in, you know, undeniable to her. And she realized that they were real. So when I started connecting with Alan and she's the one who told me that he was an archangel and I was like, how is that possible? Like, can people be archangels? Like, like when they were in a body, does that mean he was one when he was in a body? Cause he certainly didn't act like one, <laughs> but you know, that's a whole other story. And, and all I know is what she told me and that spirit kind of said, yeah, that's, that's, how it is that we are everything and that there are clearly this i know to be true there clearly there are there are people walking among us who are uh, ascended masters or ascended beings because there are thousands and thousands of souls who were once in a body who be who ascended who became lightened you know and so it's like right now because of what's going on in the planet it's all hands on deck so there are people who, who souls who incarnated, but they didn't need to be here, but they are ascended beings. Um, according to, as you know, with Doreen, um, you know, and what Swati is saying too, is that there are people who are incarnated angels that are, that they don't even necessarily know it, but they're living on the earth, you know, doing angelic things. They're being behaving like an angel, an angel would behave, right? Mm -hmm. But that there are also archangels and, and that the archangels have in fact incarnated before. So, and will again, apparently, okay? And that there are many, many archangels. It's like, we only know like the limited number, whatever that limited number is, whether that's a hundred or 20, I don't know what it is. I'm not really, again, I'm not a scholar on the angels, but so, but when she told me that Alan was an archangel and then added, and so are you. And I thought, what? Like, I can't tell anybody that. That just sounds like crazy. You know, and even now I'm not that comfortable with it. And I've been criticized for it. Like, well, who do you think you are saying you're an archangel? And I said, but you could be one too, is what I'm trying to say. It's like, uh, this is not as unusual as you guys may think. And it doesn't mean like, because someone's an archangel or angel that they're, they're perfect because they're still having a human experience. So it's really a question of the way explained to me by Swati and spirit was that an archangel is basically here to help people embody their soul, to understand that you are a soul, you know, but they, but what spirit told me is there is no hierarchy on the other side. There's no like level that that's like a person's belief system, right? It was in a body because of their programming, but, in, but that made sense to me. So in the spirit world, they are, let's say, organized, you know, like come together and grouping, but it's not like, again, a hierarchy, like, well, this group is higher than the other group, or this group is better than the other group, or this group is more involved than the group. It's, although maybe they are, but they're not saying they're better than, they're just saying our interest is this. So archangels are interested in supporting other 
other souls, you know, helping them to grow and, and again, embody their soul. Uh, but the archangels, what I was shown too, that they all have the same abilities. We just associate them with certain specialties because that helps the human consciousness that we are understand. Well, well, what are, well, what, we we are the ones that want the specialists, right? Like we go to the doctor. I want to go to the doctor specializing in the heart, not the doctor who's the general practitioner. But really, in a sense, they're all GPs. They're all general practitioners, archangels. But they become identified with certain specific areas, and that's fine. But in truth, you know, Archangel Michael can heal people just as well as Archangel Raphael, who's associated with healing. But that makes sense to me too, because why would you be limited? Like, okay, I'm an archangel and I only can do, this is my job description, right? This narrow thing. No, but that's what I become known for. That's fine. People can call on me for that. So that's my understanding, you know, that, that angels are here, that they, they kind of hold the blueprint for creation. You could say, I don't want to go really go into that, but they, they help us, they support us. But they're not, they're not here to live our life for us, obviously. And they can't do everything for us because there's some things that we need to learn and do for ourselves. So in my experience in working with guides and angels is that in the beginning, you might get a lot of help from the other side, from angels, from your guides. And that but at some point, probably because you have to grow and evolve and become independent, they're not going to step in as much because it's like, okay, now, now you got it. You, you need to go practice. You need to go just like a parent with a child. When the child's a baby, you're, you're feeding them all the time. Or when they're older, you're cutting their meat up for them, maybe if they're eating. But at some point you're going, well, you feed yourself. <laughs> you know, I'm not here to put the food in your mouth or even, even maybe choose what, to, what you should eat. You have to grow up and live your life. Well, the same thing is true for, for us when we're spiritually opening up. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I know yeah, the I angels know. are very active here, like they've always been. I once had an experience that made me feel like I just was touched by an angel. And it was when I was about uh, 13 years old and I was in a very bad car accident where we went off a cliff up in the upstate New York in a ski resort. And when the ambulance came to put me on a stretcher and take me away, the man that came that did that, I, I, it's like, I don't know, there was something in his face and I was in shock. There was something in his face that somehow connected me to feel like everything was going to be okay and that I didn't have to worry about anything all because of this man. And I just felt like he was some sort of an angel. I almost wondered whether he was real or not after the accident, you know, the, after I was over everything, I wondered like, did that man really exist? Is he the one who was carrying the stretcher? You know, cause he just felt like he was so different than all the other medical people that were around in the situation at the time. And it felt like an experience of an angel. And that's why I asked you, cause I always wondered, could they actually be in this body form or was it only something that was part of a religious thing with somebody with wings on that came flying down out of nowhere I, you know i wasn't really sure <laughs> you know and as you're talking it makes me think too that i think what's also possible beside that person being an incarnated angel is mm -hmm. that somebody could in that moment 
kind of be, let's say, the, the go-between or the medium or the channel for that angel. And that presence could come through that person yes. if, they, if they are of loving intent and their work is to in that field. Obviously, if somebody's, you know, in, in emergency services, you know, they're not doing it to get rich. I mean, I mean, they're, 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 well. they're not, yeah, I know they're not. So they're coming with a good, pure intention. So I think that's also possible as well, because we're multidimensional and we're being connecting with the other side in ways that we don't even understand, you know? And, and so I do think that they can come through and maybe overlay their energy or their presence and, and that person may not have had any awareness of that was happening, but doesn't mean it couldn't happen, right? Because, because they're a vibrational match to, to the angelic realm, because really the angels are just here to serve. And anyone who's genuinely coming from a place of service, right, without any ego or any attachment to anything, but just to serve, they're going to be an open vessel conduit for the spirit world, in my view. You know? yes. And um, not everybody obviously will be, but somebody's really coming from that place and spirit. That's what my husband is saying to me right now. He goes, because spirit world is looking for where they can intervene and can kind of like whisper in somebody's ear to do something or how to help because they can't do it directly, right? They, they can influence us. They can blend with us. They can give the doctor in the operating room the suggestion of the procedure to follow that they know would be best for the patient. And so the doctor would go, oh yeah, I could do that. And he doesn't even realize that he's under the influence so to speak of the higher realms. But that's happened all the time because of the, Alan says otherwise, the world would have blown up a long time ago because <laughs> you know people weren't guided when appropriate to to not do something or to do something right well, well of course we have free will so it's not like they override that it's just that where it's appropriate where it's okay where they were not interfering with somebody's life purpose life plan and their destiny there can be a little tweaking a little like let, let's give you a suggestion let's bring in you know the angel to comfort this child who's sick or what have you, you know, there's all those possibilities. And, right. And I think often they say they appear in the, in a form or vision that's something you would understand. Yeah. It's comfortable for the person. They're not going to appear in a way that's going to scare anybody. So, so I want to get to your book now, okay. which I really enjoyed. I had a few surprises in it. Uh, and there's, two stories in specific that I was hoping that we could talk about. Sure. And one of them was, I was blown away that you had a supernatural wedding. And I was blown away that, I wasn't blown away that you were having sexual relations. Connections. <laughs> connections with spirit form, because that I understand. Yeah, that's but happening that out you there. Went and did an entire wedding that sound I, I, that just so I was just wondering if you could share with your listeners why you did this and um I, I and you know the people that came to this were your supported people yes but I was wondering I'm sure you must have I don't know if you had any slack about that or if anybody said why would you get married again or I don't know <laughs> um yeah well the way that happened as I described in the book was that 
that it, it, it kind of all sprung out of this conversation I was having with my friend Swati via messenger, by the way, it wasn't on the phone or anything. And I was just chatting with her. And this was in the early days of Ellen's passing. I think it was, let me see, like the first, within the first three months of his passing, three to four months. And I was talking about with her how I couldn't find my, my original wedding ring. I later did find it, but, um, and then I bought me to telling her that I'd never really liked the ring. It was okay. And, you know, and I was just like, and Alan knew that. And now, cause he's on the other side and he regrets how he behaved in our wet, our marriage that, that he, it ended up that he proposed through Swati, which is really hilarious because he, if you read our book, I said, wait a minute, you didn't really propose. You just started talking theoretically about, well, maybe having another wedding. And I go, wait a minute. I didn't, I never got a proposal in our original marriage. Okay. Cause we just decided to get married. And I certainly didn't really get a proposal initially the second time around. And then he finally did propose from the spirit world. And I, he said he wanted to do it right he wanted to he feel felt like he dropped the ball the first time around because again as i describe in our book you know we got married really primarily because because i got pregnant not that he didn't love me and not that i didn't love him but that was kind of the catalyst because he wasn't a u.s citizen he was visiting me from the uk and and I got pregnant and then that brought up the question of what do we do, you know, and if, if you, uh, and he didn't want to get married. He had made that clear when I met him because he'd been married the first time and his first wife had gotten pregnant. That's why they got married. And I didn't, I didn't really emphasize that point in the book. I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but, um, you know, it didn't mean he didn't care for her, but he wasn't ready to get married. He was maybe 22 when he got married. And so when this came around, when I met him, he said, I just want to be single. I want, I'll get involved with you, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want marriage. And I said, that's okay. I don't want to get married either. I don't want to have a family either, but much to my surprise, I got pregnant. So, and I knew when I got pregnant that I needed to have the baby. I wasn't anti-abortion. I don't have any, I think people should do whatever they want to do with their body but I knew that I had to follow my guidance. And I knew even if my guidance, if I followed it and my guidance costed me this relationship, I knew I had to do that. I just knew that to the core of my being. So I said, well, I, I'm, I'm gonna have this baby even if, if I lose you. And so, so he didn't really propose and we, he just agreed, okay, well, well, let's get married. So I never had this romantic proposal, right? He knew that my first husband, my first marriage, that first husband went through, made, made this real romantic display of it, of proposing to me with the, with the stereotypical ring and the dessert, you know, embedded in the dessert that gets served to you. And you got to a fancy restaurant, the whole thing. Cause my first husband was very romantic and, and had a friend help him choose the ring. It wasn't like I had to choose the ring. In our case, you know, I helped choose the ring and I just settled for whatever because I didn't, you know, I knew he was concerned about money and, and I didn't care. I just want to get married. Right. So so all of that was our history. Right. He knew that she was married the first time. Her first husband went through all of this and I didn't do anything. And I and I just chose the ring and said, OK, well, that's fine. And I she didn't make a big deal of anything. 
So this time around, he wanted to do it right. So I said, well, okay. It wasn't a big deal to me. You know, it wasn't like, like I needed to have this second celestial wedding, so to speak, right? I thought, but okay, this sounds like it would be fun. And then Swati got all excited because she makes, can make jewelry and she wanted to make my ring. So I thought, well, that would be fun. You know, I never really liked my first wedding ring. So she had this idea of how to make the ring out of silver wire. And she said that Alan was all on board because she could see him and talk to him. And, and he was all excited and knew what he wanted to do. So, so just the process of the two of them making the ring, which I would hear what was going on and how he was chanting over the ring and, and, putting his energy into it and blessing it. And, and I don't know if you can see that, but this is the ring on my finger. That's the ring. It's oh, silver it's wire. And, and he wanted to make this one of a kind ring made by an angel, literally. So when that all came together, you know, when he proposed and she said, well, maybe you could have a wedding. And I thought, okay, a wedding like on zoom, because <laughs> this is during the pandemic. Right. Obviously. And, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just see who in my group, my Facebook group wants to come. So to my surprise, a lot of people said, oh, I love to come. That sounds great. You know, and at that time in my group, not everybody was having relationships through the veil. And in fact, I think most of the people were not. Most of these people were just clients and students of mine because I've been teaching in this field for over 30 years now. So, so they just wanted to come because they knew our story. They, some of them had actually knew Alan, had been clients of his too. So they were all excited, you know, because they could feel his presence. At this point, when we got married, which was February 28th of 2021, at that point, um, I was chronicling our story. I wasn't writing the book yet, but I was sharing his messages. I was sharing what he was saying to me. And it was, it was really affecting people. And they wanted to see where our story would lead. You know, they knew it was real because they knew him and because I was sharing so openly almost every day what, what new thing had happened. Mm -hmm. so, so they all wanted to come. So we had about, I don't know, maybe you know, when you're on Zoom, people come in and come out, but I had people, maybe 18 people, maybe 20, I don't remember now, but we did record it, but because of copyright issues with YouTube, I can't upload it because we played music on there, music from the playlist of songs that Ellen had given me during that short period of time. So we had music there. People later told me that they were crying because it was so beautiful, it was so emotional. They felt all this love. Some people saw Alan standing beside me and all the, it was really amazing. And if, if people join my group, we do have the actual video there in the group, in the guide section. And some people have watched it and been very inspired to have their own interdimensional wedding. But it's there in, in Dropbox. You can go into our group, click on the link, go to my Dropbox and see it. But we can't post it publicly. So we had that and it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. And I felt like we did start a new chapter of our marriage. So I think that that can be a powerful way to to step into these relationships, to have some sort of ceremony. It doesn't have to be with a whole bunch of people on Zoom. It mm -hmm. could, I've had people in my group who've done that privately, 
just them and their partner or just them and a few people maybe both in some people did in person with friends other people did it on zoom like we did but i think there's something to be said for creating this new relationship in a, in a tangible way that you go having this new experience i think that is really the key though is that people um it takes time to to understand that you could have this new relationship, but obviously it's not going to be the same. It's going to be very different. And there's no body, but it can be quite profound and you can have new memories with them. This is what I teach both in my you know, Facebook group and, and in my academy, especially my academy, remind people that the, the way through your grief is to create new memories of them in the now. Because otherwise, all you have memories of are the past, and they're not there in the past. They're here with you right now, literally right now in this moment, they're right here. So if we're not tapping into them right here, we're not connecting. And of course, then you're going to feel lonely in that sense, because in your mind, you're like, but they're, you think they're not here. So it's like you kind of have to remind yourself or have a practice of connecting. That's why I teach channeling, both channeling, like writing their messages or actually vocalizing their messages into a recorder or and in our academy people get together they practice channeling for each other they practice they give readings for each other some people don't ever give a reading some people just come and they just let other people read them you know our members can do whatever they want but they have the opportunity to practice to bring through their loved one and i'd like to tell people if you want to have this relationship you have to make it as tangible and physical as you can that's why the writing i recommend that's why being with people of like mind and talk sharing your story as it unfolds is important otherwise it's easy for you to think you're just making it up like you said that you think you're right. just you're crazy i'm just making it up it's all in my mind but when you talk to other people who say oh i had that happen to me too that i had that same experience you realize oh i guess i'm not living in my own little bubble and this is a reality the the other thing i found so beautiful about your book was you shared what the the when you were in the marriage when you both had bodies you were sharing the difficulties of the relationship there and then watching what unfolds when you connect together as uh spirit and his spirit and you together you did all this wonderful healing with each other both for him on one side and yeah. for you. And I always thought that that was possible. I'd never thought about doing it two way with but one, one here and one not here, but that that's one of the things that we're, in, when you're taking any of these retreats and things, you learn about forgiveness and letting go of these things. And that just because you didn't get to say those words to the person when they're alive, you can have that conversation with them now in the spirit world and let them know how you wished it had been better or let them know that there is no anger or bad feelings yes. between each other and you can heal these relationships without having to be standing right in front of them face to face if this the hope is not lost just because they died you can still clear up whether it's a mother and a father or a brother and a sister or a friend or a lover or a partner these things can all be worked with and I wanted, there's one more story because we're on our uh, hour now and I like to try to keep us on time, but we can keep talking, talking, no problem also. But there was a very great story in your book and 
I felt like when I read that story, I said, now there's nobody who can doubt her work. <laughs> what is that? This was the story of somebody named J.R. who was in a coma oh, at yeah. the clinic. So I was wondering, I mean, people should get your book and read them on their own, but this was one particular story I thought if you could share, I thought was a, I just thought it was a, a fabulous Yeah, it's, I, ha I have the actual messenger chat uh, copies that, that were exchanged between JR and his friend, um, who's in our group, by the way, she's Marianne. Uh, she's in my academy group and she's been a longtime client. So yeah, that story was quite interesting because it gave me, I, it was helpful for me because then I had undeniable evidence that of what Alan was doing and what we were doing. Because I, otherwise I don't know, I just have his word, right? He's telling me, oh, you and I are doing this. And I go, okay, like, you know, I, I needed to get this corroborated. So what happened was, I believe this was in maybe January or I think it was January of um, the, the first months after Alan had passed, uh, because I started doing readings with him. He came through and he said, you don't have my pension income anymore, and I want to help you support yourself. And so he said, let's do readings. And I thought, what? How's that going to work? So so Marianne, being a longtime client of both of ours, you know, she, she heard about it and says, oh, I want a reading. So she booked a reading. And at the end of it, she asked Alan, she goes, well, could Alan help my friend JR, who's in a coma right now? Now, this is what's interesting. Marianne had never really met JR except online. Like they were in some sort of group together. And as she got to know JR online and became friends. And now Marianne's married. And so there's no funny business going on. She's married, happily married, but JR and her became friends. And so when he got sick, was in a coma and was diagnosed with stage four um, leukemia, she was concerned, obviously, and she was in touch with him. And she, he was in the coma at the time of her reading. So she said, could Alan help him? And Alan says, absolutely. I forgot completely about it. A few months later, she reaches out to me and says, JR came out of his coma and he saw you and Alan. And I thought, what? <laughs> like, I totally forgot that we'd done anything. And she starts to share with me the exchanges they were having because he came out of the coma and immediately drew a picture of what he said was a man that he saw with him and that the man was wearing a gray suit and tie and drew it all out. Okay. Sent it to Marianne. Well, first of all, showed it to the nurse who immediately thought that he was overly medicated or something because <laughs> he came out of the coma and, and, and she took the, the picture away because she didn't want to upset him. But he he described this man and he said that he was tall, that he had died on his birthday in August of 2020, which Alan died on his birthday, August 6, 2020. And that that this man had a wife, that her name was uh, Pamela, who lived in Honolulu. She He said, I know she's in Honolulu because she had a lay around her neck that he saw. And that I was Asian, he said, like you, like Marianne, because Marianne is Asian too. So he says, yeah, she looks like you. And, but she's a, she's a healer, powerful healer. And that both of us were working on him, you know, but, but it was funny. Cause he said, he says, they're both healers, but she is really powerful. So I would tease <laughs> Alan and go, Hey, I'm the one that's powerful. Not you on the other side. Anyway, Our competition. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So funny. 
So, so he describes this to a T, okay, and says who I am and, and all this. And Marianne's just like shocked. Like she, she herself had been somewhat skeptical. Like could Pam and Alan really be archangels? Could they really be as much as she loved us, right? She was like, I don't know. So she wasn't sure. But when he came through with that and said that, yes, and he's an angel and all this, she was like, okay, I believe now. I believe Pam and Alan are both archangels. So we have that all in the book. She gave me permission to share that in the book. And he would uh, later even tell the story to the nurse. And the nurse was at first thinking, of course, that he was making it up. But then she saw the post that he shared with Marianne. And even the nurse was like, oh my god this is real she's like completely like shocked you're stunned right like oh my god like i didn't think this was possible because she she knew the she had the picture that he drew and it looked exactly like the real photo that i eventually sent to her to show jr because he drew it perfectly this we don't have the the picture that he drew because the you know the hospital has it but he said, yeah, that's it. That's exact. That's the guy, you know, she, he saw, he saw everything later and she had evidence of that. So that was, that was pretty shocking to me. And, um, sadly, JR has since passed, like later he passed in a way I wasn't completely surprised because this is the interesting part. When somebody's in a coma, you can work on their belief system because they're not actively like broadcasting it. That's why people can get profound healings just at the last minute because they're in a coma. They're on the brink of death, right? And there's something, you can come in and shift something. But once they're awake and they're aware and they're no longer in a coma, and then they still have their chronic pattern of thinking, that pattern of thought can be really you know, non-beneficial. And in his case, he was really always like worried about everybody else and not worried about himself and stressing about what he wasn't able to do for his family or this and that. So, and Alan was actually getting, I remember he was getting upset with him saying, you know, your stress is going to kill you. You need to let go of concerns about all these other people. And, but there wasn't that much that he could do. And I remember JR uh, being shocked that Alan was getting really strong with him. Like, you, like kind of like you got to stop being so negative or being so concerned about others to your, to your detriment, you know, because you're letting your energy just kind of leak out. So, but he's in a better place. And I think Marianne is beginning to learn to connect with him through the veil and actually, and cause she's in our Academy, other people, I, I think recently somebody picked up on JR or, or mentioned something. It's just, it's just trippy. What, what happens when you start opening up to this reality that they're not gone, that they're right here. The other side is not some faraway place. Reality is enfolded into itself and you can connect to the other dimension, although you can't be in it because you have to drop your body to be in it. You can certainly communicate with it. And that's what's happening as we raise our consciousness, we come closer to the threshold between this dimension and the other, where you can communicate, where you can kind of be quasi-physical, if you will, right? Where you can kind of live between the two worlds, but yet you have to be in one or the other. You can't be in both, but you can certainly have contact and communication. Uh, that's for sure. So I'm saying that. So yeah, that whole thing with JR was quite mind-bending for me. Yes, I, I thought that was a fabulous uh, story. And um, 
uh, uh, I had an experience similar to this when my uncle Stanley, this was some years ago, uh, had a near-death experience and was rushed to a hospital and I had no information as of yet and then I experienced that he was in a hospital and I was uh, confirmed by a phone call from the family and they mm -hmm. said he's in intensive care we don't know what's going to happen and I went through this whole thing about who he was to me in my life because he was such an important person but I was telling it all to my insurance agent because I had this appointment with her and she's also a friend and she's uh, has no problem discussing death and life and spirits or these sort of things. So I was in her office explaining all of this stuff about insurance, about all about him in the insurance office and blah, 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 blah. Well, when I finally got through to him after he was out of intensive care, I was able to get through on a phone. I'm in California. He's in New York. He tells me about how he has this experience that he said, I thought that when I nearly died, I would be seeing the white light and all this. He said, instead, I found myself in an insurance office and I didn't know what was I doing in this insurance office. <laughs> and I was making out policies for my sons and I was <laughs> and I couldn't stop laughing because that experience he was having was exactly when I'm in the insurance office speaking all about him. So I knew that somehow there was a definite connection between the two of us as he was knowing that for some reason he was in an insurance office. I want to mention something about, I think there's also, as I was reading your book, what I think happened in part of the reasons in your relationship and the difficulties when you were first married is that even though the two of you didn't necessarily follow your cultures intensively, they're still inbred in the DNA of the body. And both of you come from, one is a Japanese culture and the other is an English culture. Mm -hmm. And I've known both of them not to be huggy type kissy people. <laughs> so I think one of the obstacles you were having was sort of overlooked about the fact that, wait a minute, we really actually have different backgrounds. And when you mix two cultures together, there are differences and things that are similar. So the two of you had that similar we hold back emotions. <laughs> no, no, that's training. True. Yes. So I've got two last questions and then we can wind it up. Uh, uh, one has to do with mediums, which is my last question. But I did want to just touch on, I don't know much about the answer to this. And, you know, it has nothing to do with the rock group, The Fifth Dimension, singing <laughs> The Dawning of the Age of Aquarius which I happened to listen to and be in front of in a bar and when I was 13 and listening to them sing that amazing song. What is the fifth dimension? The <laughs> <laughs> so fifth dimension, as I understand it, is the non-physical realm. Okay. And you have to, you cannot be in that dimension with a body. So ah. it's where we go when we drop our body, we go to the fifth dimension. That's the non-physical world. That makes sense. So um we don't exist in that dimension but it doesn't mean you can't communicate with that dimension mm -hmm. clearly because mediums do right so they pretty to me they're pretty much proven that and that's where people go when they have ndes near-death experience they just cross over the threshold and and of course some of them come back with a story of what they experienced yes they are so so that's all it is and we do you know, okay. And the other thing that I, I really learned was driven point, driven 
point was driven home to me by Alan when he crossed over and said, the greater part of us actually remains in the fifth dimension, in the non-physical. And other spiritual teachers have said the same thing. For example, Abraham Hicks, you know, they, they're known to say the greater part of you, the larger part of you remains not physically focused. Well, that's what they mean by that. So you and I are all, we're, we're a spirit, right? We're a non-physical being. And so we remain over there and express a portion of ourselves into this particular body and this particular life. But really we're multidimensional in nature because we're expressions of source. And so we, are, we can be and are living many other different lives and realities, but always remain the greater part of us in non-physical. And this is where we kind of reconnect with when we go to sleep at night. Because if we don't do that, we don't get recharged. We don't, we kind of have to touch base, so to speak, and then come back and, and be in this dream world that we're creating to have a unique experience that we could not have when we're in spirit. So that's why we kind of forget who we are. We forget that resource. We forget, right? We take on a personality construct with certain beliefs to have a certain experience for a certain period of time. And it's going to be brief in the face of eternity. It's really brief. So that I've really come to understand that. And that's what we teach in, in our academy, especially because people have to have a, a mindset shift, right? Love about what is reality. This, to me, this is really important. You can't communicate with the spirit world if you don't understand the nature of existence, if you don't understand who you, we really are. If you, when you begin to understand that, then it becomes easier for you to, to accept the uh, idea that you're eternal and that they're eternal and that you can connect with them. But you got to overcome the, the beliefs you've been programmed with. And in the collective, you know, there's a lot of limiting beliefs about the afterlife. There's a lot of fear about the afterlife, about the paranormal that we've been. And look at all the movies, you know, all the scary movies that people. I, when I was a kid, I'd watch those scary movies and just laugh because some part of me knew that that wasn't real. That was all like for show. You know, I really knew there wasn't anything to fear. There was no real boogeyman under the, you know, under the you know, bed or something like that. But that's what you, you're up against. So, so the fifth dimension, that's basically what it is. It's non-physical. You only be there when you're non-physical and then there's dimensions above that, but you know, we're not gonna go into all of that, but, right. but we are part of that dimension and can therefore visit it in our mind, not with our, can't take our body with us, but we can go visit it. And we do when we sleep, we, we connect. That's how people have those dream visitations with their loved ones on, in spirit, you know, you're meeting halfway because really they're a mind, they're a consciousness, so are we. So of course we can connect. Consciousness can connect with consciousness. So the only limiting factor is somebody's beliefs. So if they believe it's possible, then they have they can make the contact. If they don't believe it's possible, then they're gonna create that reality in which it's not possible. It all comes down to beliefs in the final analysis. And I think, in my belief, I think consciousness lives on. That's what goes on after we shed the body. That part of ourself does not, or whatever the identifying self is. That right. When, once energy is created, consciousness is created, it's eternal. It cannot, you cannot be destroyed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Do you know about the uh, Bigelow um, Award that was given this last year? 
Uh, it's a very wealthy man who's very involved in consciousness. I think I think he's I'm not sure if he's part of the space. I'm not sure how he made all his money, but he's a very wealthy man. And he had a con uh, contest last year for people to submit papers on um, proving survival, survive, uh, survival, survival of after life after death. death. And um, one particular friend of mine, Jeffrey Mishlov, it's in fact, if anyone wants to see that show, it's on our podcast. Uh, he won the half a million dollar prize right. for his paper on, and he's been, you know, exploring and researching consciousness for 30 years or 40 years. And uh, they are now releasing the books. It's a four volume set of books wow. that are being given, donated to hospices and hospitals and places so that understanding can be given to uh, care workers and, you know, people who are dealing with people that are dying. And I thought, what a wonderful thing that somebody with a lot of money is putting energy and time and their money it's in wonderful. trying to educate the world about consciousness after death. So I'm looking forward to that. That I think the books are coming out at the end of this month, but that might be an, an interesting thing for you to check into. Um, the site is Jeffrey Mishlove, New Thinking Aloud. And I'm going to go to my last question, which has to do about mediums. But before I do, I was wondering if you could just say your website and academy website for those listeners who oh the description on YouTube. I'd love for them to be able to hear it so they can write it down if they like. Yeah, our website is really easy to find. It's supernaturallove.com, two L's, supernaturallove.com. You'll find information about the academy on there, about our services, um, and all that. Everything is there. Our, our Facebook group is Soulmates in the Afterlife. And we have a YouTube channel. It's just called Supernatural Love. And um, beginning probably this month or at least next month, I'll be live streaming into YouTube like every week. Right now, I've live streamed teaching into my group on Saturdays. We're just starting to do Saturdays, but we're going to then shift over to more live streaming into YouTube to reach more people. So if people want to learn more, um, I was uh, the easiest way is probably to go to our YouTube channel because you don't have to, you know, a lot of people don't want to be on Facebook right now. So we're trying to cover all the bases, you know, be on Facebook and for our community, our community is free community of soulmates in the afterlife. The paid programming community is soul of, um, supernatural love Academy but that is a paid program. We do offer scholarships for our program. I'm very committed to, to serving people regardless of their ability to pay. So if people have questions about that, they can reach out through our website. And, but otherwise I wanna teach on YouTube to reach more people because I've had so many people come to me who say, if I hadn't found you, I don't know what would have happened to me. They were uh, suicidal. And while I'm not saying, you know, I, I'm the cure for that, I, I'm just here to support people in their grief process and show them there's another way. And in my view, the only real cure for grief, if you will, is to make contact because otherwise you really talk in, I don't know about grief therapy. I think it was more, I call it more grief acceptance. <laughs> I mean, you can't really heal it unless you transcend it, you know, and how do you do that? People just learn to live with the grief. They don't necessarily move beyond it to connect with their 
loved ones. And so in our academy, you have people not just you're connecting with a partner, but also people connecting with other loved ones. I have actually a few people that are there just to spiritually grow. They're saying they, they, they're learning how to raise their consciousness and how to connect with their spirit team and, and evolve. So I have actually several people that are in my academy just for that. And then they realize, well, if my partner ever does pass away, I'm good to go. Like, I'll be ready to connect. Like, I'll be already plugged in. <laughs> I always tell my children, I say, Oh, I might be leaving. I said, but I'm not going to be gone right now. <laughs> there, there you go. I, I've had I've had many members say, "I'm so glad to be here now while my husband's still alive," because I know I feel comfort that if he goes first, that I can stay connected, and it'll be just easy peasy. And I go, "Yeah, you you got it. You'll you'll have it." So this is my last question, and after that, I I, I just want to see if Alan has anything he wants to. <laughs> Put in or if he has a question and if there's anything you want to tie up with at the end it sounds complicated but in closing how can our listeners find good qualified mediums and not people who are preying on their grief and loss but are actually contacting the spirits of the deceased and what signs should they see when they go to meet someone that's a medium or a channeler that means they should run the other way. And what signs are it where it's like, yeah, that's a good positive person. You should stay with that medium. I know you have the academy that you can offer. Right, right. What else is there or right. information that because you would be so flooded? Uh, I know. I understand. Share, yeah. Yeah, it, that, that's a very important and complicated question uh, because uh, the the truth is mediumship has just exploded in interest and popularity. Okay. So I think in part, thanks to, to, you know, Netflix and Amazon prime, they have series with mediums, et cetera. Right. So this is a good thing and a challenging thing at the same time. So now more than ever, people understand mediumship is real. It's a real thing. And it is a real thing. It's always been a real thing. Okay. My, this is just my opinion, my experience, yes. all I can share. Right. And what Alan tells me. So he has said that genuine mediumship is rather rare. Okay. Um, and what's happening right now is that there, there are so many people taking mediumship courses. And after a course, maybe the course lasts a week, maybe it lasts two months, maybe it lasts three months, whatever it is, right? And then they just say, I'm a medium, and they're they're jumping out there and they're doing readings. And some of them might be really good. Some of them might not be, I don't, I don't know. But the challenge is, and this is the question Alan had his entire career as a medium, right? He always bothered him. He said, how do I know as a medium that I'm really re-talking to the deceased person and not reading their energy? Because he knew that it was possible to get all the information just from reading that person whether they're dead or in a body doesn't matter you know in a body or not because their energy is their energy their consciousness is their consciousness right so you can technically read anybody physical non-physical and contained in their field is all the information about them all the details of their life okay and i'm not saying every psychic can do that i'm just saying that is possible and i've seen few psychics who can do that so that was his dilemma he said how do and he wasn't comfortable because he couldn't 
wasn't sure. I mean, I know that he was being contacted by spirits because he would feel them and be pushing them out because he didn't want to have their influence. But he also knew that you can't summon them on demand, right? Like, like the other side isn't always going to come through. And that bothered him too. How can some of them come through and some of them, it's harder. And now, of course, he knows that, well, sometimes they don't want to come through to that medium. Right. Like they don't have anything to do with that medium. They don't like that medium, you know, or they know that the person they love could connect with them themselves. And so the spirit on the other side might go, but I want her to listen to me. I don't want her to go to a medium. So there, there's that problem. Okay. But there's so many mediums out there. And unfortunately, I would say the majority of them are not genuine. Mm -hmm. They might be well-meaning. They might not be. Some of them could be very much just in it for the money. You know, we're talking about human beings. We're not talking about that they're enlightened souls, you know, just because you go learn to be a medium. So that's the challenge. So you can't tell for sure whether that person is, the medium is reading the energy of your loved one, or they're just really talking to them. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, even when, the medium is actually communicating directly, okay? And I, I had a mediumship reading with somebody who I knew she was talking to Alan. I knew she was the real deal, but he didn't like her. So he started telling her things that were all the opposite. Like she'd say like, oh, he worked out a lot. And I said, well, he never worked out a day in his life. Or <laughs> he, he liked to do this and this. And I'd go, no, he didn't like to do. I mean, and I wasn't trying to be contrary. I was just being honest, right? And later I realized, wait a minute. He, she's saying everything the reverse of what is true about him. Oh God, he's doing this, right? I, I realized that after the fact, and by then she was all upset and angry and, and thinking that I'm just being you know, disagreeable with her and but he said I don't want to come through to her he said she can't talk to the other side he said but she has a lot of ego and this is her problem so he was reading her right mm -hmm. so he said I don't want you to talk to her because she was she was just giving me some opinions about things that he was like going no like no that's not true so so he he didn't want me to see her and he also, what I felt from her, because she was a mental medium, she's talking to him mind to mind, I couldn't feel love from her. I couldn't feel the sense of love and connection. It was all here. And that bothered me. I said, this doesn't, doesn't feel right on that level. Okay. So later, as I explored all this, I and and I thought about it and talked to other mediums that I knew, you know, I realized, all right, you know, mediumship does require a strong ego because you're going, putting yourself out in a limb and you are just trusting that, and the client might be disappointed because you can't bring through their loved one. Now, I believe that if the medium can't connect, like within the first 10, 15 minutes, you should know that and they should give you your money back. Okay, because in the spiritualist churches in England, thus, you know, when you go to these centers and places, they will do that. And it's no big deal. They'll just go, sorry, I can't pick up on your husband today. And, and they don't take your money. Okay. If the, if the medium never, ever refunds money, I'm sorry. To me, that's a sign they're fake because I know that no medium is going to be 100%. They're not able to bring through somebody in spirit 
all the time. And anybody who says they are is lying. Okay. And then if they don't refund money, that's, that's to me, okay, not right either. And I don't know if you, you might have, you don't might know Sandra Champlain and her podcast, We Don't Die, and her book, We Don't Die. But she talks about that too. She went on a rant about this time last year because I was on her podcast. I was interviewed by her. And she went on a rant early last year around this time saying that she was just upset about the flood of fake mediums that were out there that were hurting people by telling them lies about the afterlife, like telling them things like, like routinely telling them your partner wants you to maybe move on and, and they're going to bring you somebody new when that necessarily isn't necessarily what the other side wants. Okay. I, I've had that happen, because I can hear the loved ones saying, no, I want to stay connected, but the medium, because they're training in their training, they were taught that we need to, they need to let them go and move on. You know, we're holding them back and all that baloney. There's so much misinformation out there. So, so that's the other challenge too, not just finding a legitimate medium mm -hmm. who's not reading your loved one, but is actually, you know, is actually talking to them, communicating with them and seeing that they're giving them maybe signs, maybe because sometimes it's clairvoyant. So they're showing them things, pictures as the communication, right? So it's hard to know, but I would say go by recommendations. Um, what I know, which Sandra has said this too, she says, you should feel their presence. You should feel the presence of your loved one. You should feel this sense of connection and love from your loved one there, okay? The other challenge we have right now because of the, of the internet is that, and I know, unfortunately, I do know of some mediums who do cheat and they go online and they get all the information about these people. They might be in different groups. So I, there are mediums that are in different Facebook groups. And I can't promise you that they're not like scavenging for information about people. That, that has been point has been made in other documentaries, I think on Netflix or on even on Amazon Prime about that fact that, well, everything exists online. If somebody really wanted to go look for it, they can. I'm not saying they're doing that. I'm just saying that's the challenge of the times we live in, that there's information is readily available for anybody who wants to go digging for it. So, so that's the difficult part. Um, so I I'd say one point you made that I think is very important. And I've always said this to people when they try to challenge me by saying, well, I'll believe in you if you can tell me how, how much coins are in my, my, my pocket right now or how much money's in my wallet or what something like this is that um, if the person is saying, and I'm not going to mention any of these famous people, but they all come up to our area every year to do their little uh, events and they charge a lot of money for you to all come and they pick out random people in the audience and they're going to give them a reading about their life and they always say that they always know everything that's to me the run the other way if they think it's, yeah yeah, it's like yeah a basketball player maybe he can get the shot a certain amount of times but it doesn't matter how famous he is he's going to miss some of the time it doesn't matter how good a player he is the reality right. is nobody does anything a hundred percent. No, anything and, that involves humans is going to be flawed. Right. So if a medium says to you, oh, I'm always right. Oh, I can do it. At yeah, any yeah. Time. 
that's to me that always concerns me because I don't believe somebody who says they can do this 24 seven. No, I don't believe you can because well, how can you? You know, you can't, spirit communication is not a science. It's not like you, you get it nailed down. It also depends on the ability of the other side to communicate. This is what I didn't know. And Alan, when he returned to me, said, we're going to teach people on both sides of the veil how to project. I said, what do you mean? The other side needs help to come through? And he goes, yes, not every spirit is capable of you know, communicating or making contact through the veil. They are all different. And I thought about it later and I thought, well, that makes sense because we're all unique souls, spirits, you know, we're all at different levels. And he said, yeah, some of them need help to do that so that he was helping them on the other side. And then I'd have people in my group and my academy who would have, who would go and have mediumship readings and the medium would say, oh, you're in this class that you're taking. That was the class with me, right? And they'd say, oh, your husband is in another class on the other side that meets at the same time. <laughs> and Alice said, see, I told you, this is what we're doing. When you meet with everybody online on Zoom in the physical, we're meeting on the other side and we're working together. And so there's this energy, this vortex of energy that opens up because we are literally opening the door to the spirit world. And, um, but to go back to your question about, you know, look for an a mediumship reading or a medium, it's, I, I think it's harder now than ever to find a legit medium. So it, it's tough. And then the other thing, even some that I have met that I, who I love, okay, their belief system can get in the way too. So that's the other challenge, like I just said to you about that, you know, I have, I knew one medium who, who could sense Alan maybe around me, around me, but then assume that he's earthbound. And I said, there's no way he's earthbound because he's capable of all these other things. You know, he's holding people, he's doing all. And, and I knew from other people that I, that I knew, other mediums I knew and friends, they go, no, he's not earthbound. He's, he crossed over and came right back because <laughs> he, he could do that. Not every soul can do that. So that's the thing. So mediums have their own limiting beliefs. Here's the interesting thing to me is I've heard so many stories of mediums who lose a partner and they're, they don't always have the ability to connect with them once they cross over because their grief is either tremendous or they don't believe they can. So they have to themselves go talk to a medium. Mm -hmm. Now that to me is really interesting because I've got ordinary people who are not, wouldn't say they're a medium, who begin having contact, who begin hearing messages. Unlike that medium, who's a professional, right? They right. lose their partner and say, oh my God, is this really him? He's like talking to me, you know? And, and so to me, that's, that's proves it, that it's not about your ability. It's about, and maybe it's not even about your belief system. It's like, maybe that person on the other side, so on the other side is so strong, so much wants to come through that they can override their, the limiting beliefs of their loved one in one case, this woman was very Christian, right? And so when she starts feeling her partner, she's like, oh my God, like this can't be happening because she does not believe in any of what you and I believe, right? So she's like freaking out, like what? But she knows it's real. And so she finds our group and realizes, okay, I'm not losing my mind. That is my husband, that is real. But she's not a medium, you see. So isn't it interesting? The mediums, and Alice is because of their training, they're taught certain things, they have certain beliefs. And even, I won't say who this person is, but 
but this person who's very famous in mediumship circles, even he tells people that you have to let your loved ones go. You cannot stay connected after death, that you're holding them back. And this person has been around since for a long time and is a best-selling author and all this and a teacher. And even he's saying that, okay, telling this to somebody in my group who herself is a medium who has ongoing connection with her husband through the veil. And she's like shocked, like, I can't believe he said that. And I told her, he's just giving you the routine message they give everybody because that's what they believe. Okay, so, but that's not the truth. See, and this is what we're dealing with here. There's not only that the, the world, the public in general is very, has really limiting beliefs about the afterlife. It's the mediums themselves have limiting beliefs about the afterlife of what they were taught, what they believe they haven't experienced direct contact. Because what I know to be true, because I've studied basically been studying spirituality and consciousness my whole life, not so much trying to be psychic, but trying to understand the nature of existence, is that our beliefs create everything. Everything in our reality is driven by our beliefs and assumptions about reality. So once you start being more flexible in your belief about the nature of reality and you, you can open up to seeing what it really is, but if you have a very fixed belief about, well, it has to be like this, it's only like that, well, that's what you're gonna get. Not because it's real, it's because it's real for you. Everything is real. It's whatever you wanna be is real. So that's the thing and mediums are not perfect i mean i i have worked with psychics most a lot of my time in this field has been managing psychics i used to run psychic fairs and things like that and and so i know that they're not they're wonderful people but they're not they don't all have their act together they don't all have they're not oh, all spirit, not. they're not spiritually <laughs> evolved you know you can be profoundly psychic and be a sociopath you know it has nothing to do with that at all people are shocked when I tell them that wait a minute I thought if somebody was you know psychically gifted that they're special and I go not necessarily I said what makes you think that somebody can be incredibly psychic and be very distorted as a human being very flawed as a person it's not a mark of some you know that they're an ascended being or some highly evolved person people also think that uh, they themselves are not psychic or medium. Yeah. And they are. Theory. It's just that they've forgotten or they've buried it or they haven't spent the time. And that's why it's wonderful for them when they do discover that they, oh, wait, I do have this in me. I am the same as another. It isn't, I, I only use the word gift because I don't know what else to say. People tell me I have these gifts, but I don't think of it that way, that particular word because I think it's in everybody. So it doesn't seem like it's anything special. It's just that um, uh, for me, it's just more of a natural way of living, but it's not anything special. But when I have experiences, when somebody's dying and I'm experiencing it physically in my body, or uh, I'm knowing these things through a dream, or I'm right. always, I never take it for granted. I always say, thank you. Thank you for the information. Thank you for being there. But I never think in my mind, oh, it'll be there anytime I want. Oh, I can always contact that. I always, no matter how many times it has happened, it always still always gives me a feeling of, oh, you know, surprise. Yes, I've connected. Uh, and I just feel very respectful for that experience. 
I um I'm gonna I want to close now, but what I'd love to do is if there's any piece of advice, if there's anything Alan wants to say, because I feel <laughs> like he's been with us on the show while we're doing this, if he has any message specifically, and if there's any message you have to say, or both of you, or neither of you, or whatever, that's in our closing now. Well, I think my main message, which would be his message too, is for people to begin to open up their mind to the idea that, you know, that the spirit world is some faraway place and that, that anyone who dies is lost to them because they're not lost. They're, they're still here. They're just a thought away. Um, they're not going to actively engage with us unless we're actually open to that and we are ourselves making the effort because what would be the point, you know, they wouldn't want to be, be bothering us or be upsetting us. And, and the, I believe that anybody can make this contact through the veil, it really depends on their belief system, you know, how, how that, that they're not afraid of it that they trust what they start experience. Trusting and having faith in this is probably the first challenge that people face because we're so programmed to believe that what we can't see cannot possibly be real. So the physical conscious mind starts to really freak out when we start going down this road for, for many people, you know, and you start hearing uh, somebody talk in your mind or getting thoughts come in your mind, you just think, oh, that's me. But in reality, it can be the other side. It's quite easy for them to do that. They do that all the time. So I guess our main message would be to, for people to understand that this is very, this is part of being human, you know, that we are connected to the other side and indigenous people especially they've always known that they never lost their connection to their ancestors you know they always let the ancestors guide them and have that contact you know we've kind of forgotten that um, but i luckily i think we're beginning to remember that like who we really are and uh, so i think that we're living in an exciting time where the veil can basically disappear for more and more people it will do it that way it's not going to disappear for everybody because not everybody wants it to disappear you know but but it really is just a belief system so once you start leaning in that direction anything is possible so that that's mainly our message and and not to lose hope and but okay okay he's still he is coming through with something <laughs> he says he says remember if you're still in a body if you're still here that means you're not done because if you were done, you would no longer be here. It's as simple as that. So whether you're still grieving or not, think about what am I here for? What am I still living for? What, what am I here to do? Uh, and just ponder that, ask for guidance of that, because you'll get it. And start noticing what you feel led to, what, what excites you, what interests you, what, what makes you curious, and you want to go explore that. And maybe what's got your curiosity is what I'm talking about here, you know, and you want to go explore that. I know for a fact that when we reach to the veil to connect with our loved ones, this has the potential to help us grow powerfully because we begin to understand who we really are and prepares us for our own transition because we now will then understand that we're not gonna die because they're not dead. And also that whoever we leave behind, so to speak, they'll, they'll comfort, be comforted and they'll understand, no, I, I'm still gonna be with you. I'm still gonna be cocking at you. And, and I do think that in our, on our planet, in our world, that we will get to the point where people understand that there is no separation at death and that will continue the bonds through the veil 
you know, effortlessly. I think we are going to reach that point. But it starts with people right now being their own mediums. And so I do have people in my group who've never been to a medium and they've only had the direct contact, but most of them have gone to some mediums. And, and in my group, I do have a few people I recommend. I'm not going to say it that here publicly, but a few people I recommend. I don't really do mediumship readings conventionally, but what we've, Ellen and I focused on on our private one-on-one sessions is just how people can reconnect. So, and maybe a message comes through, but, but I don't call it a conventional mediumship reading. But what I have noticed is people feel they made that contact and then they can maybe hopefully continue it. Or for some of them, they do end up joining our academy once they have a taste of that and say, oh yeah, it is really possible. But yeah, that's, that's our main message that you can do this. You're bored to be human is to be psychic. To be psychic is you, you can potentially be a medium because you have a connection to your loved ones through the veil. That makes you a medium for them. Doesn't make you a professional medium for the public because that's a whole different thing, but you can be a medium for your own loved ones and people you know through the veil. That's beautiful. Very beautifully said. I wanna thank Alan for joining us today. I wanna thank you for joining us. Just hold on for one second, don't leave yet. I wanna thank all of our subscribers, listeners, and uh, new, new people that have joined us and subscribed. I wanna say that I wanna thank my son, Richard, and my daughter, Nancy, for producing my show and putting it up for me and taking care of all the things revolving around this podcast. And I just wanna say that 2024, we have a whole group of other new people I've never met that have been coming to us to be on the show. And I hope that they'll come and join us and that you'll listen and have a great, great week. And remember, share your stories because stories can heal. Bye. 